Father, we are grateful for our time together tonight. What a joy to be able to kick off a new series, to, uh, to, to, to turn our minds towards something, um, something perhaps in many ways unique to us. Um, we pray, Lord, that uh, you, would, you would make this study rich, that uh, we would learn. Uh, but our learning would not be just for, for the sake of learning, but it might be learning for the sake of action. Learning that might equip us, Lord, to better understand people that we run into in the world in which we live. That we might better uh, be able to articulate our faith to people from various backgrounds. And, uh, and ultimately, that we might understand our own place in the world a little better. Uh, we trust that as we navigate through a bunch of new words and unfamiliar concepts, Lord, that by your Spirit you would you'd grant us understanding and help us to be able to grasp things that seem, uh, in some cases, very hard to, to grasp. Uh, we'll trust you to help us with that. Uh, tonight, as we begin to lay the foundation, Lord, you, you uh, begin to lay the foundation in our hearts for what we'll receive. We're grateful for uh, the opportunity for Pastor Frank and Judy to get away for a little while. We pray for a safe and restful journey for them, a time of relaxation and refreshing, uh, and for the Whitfields as they head out to, um, to visit family and also to do missions in Romania, we pray that you would give them a safe journey and fruitfulness to their ministry. Uh, bless us tonight as we study, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so tonight we, uh, we, we kind of uh, crank up a new, a new series, um, which we're just calling an introduction to world religions. Uh, it, it will extend for quite some time. I don't really have an end date for us at this point. We'll just keep going until either we cover everything or you get sick of it, one or the other. I don't know. Either I'll give out or you'll give out, one or the other first, and we'll just decide it's time to quit at that point. Um, there's no way to exhaustively cover, obviously, every world religion in the time that we're going to have on Wednesday, Wednesday night. So... Um, kind of the, the, the path that we're going to chart is uh, tonight we're going to lay a foundation and just kind of get our minds thinking about religion in general, what, what that is, and uh, some thoughts that should help us frame how we look at the various religions and, and ultimately cults as well. Um, ben, that sun is right in your face, man. You could just slide to the other side of Audrey, and I bet you'd be happier all the more. Oh, oh, it's a nice halo. Okay. Um, so, so we're going to lay that foundation, and then next week we'll just kind of launch into taking various uh, religions one by one um, and, and kind of, you know, scratching the surface, trying to get a sense for what is the framework, the theological framework, and then also what, is, what, is, what do these faiths look like in practice, um, you know, to the, to the average guy on the street who's, who, who practices them. Uh, so that's kind of the way we're going to go at this. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll try to um, uh, try and hit as much as we can of each one without getting too technical and being too um, too um, too far down the pipe with them. Uh, but I do want to give you just a few statistics that just kind of launch us here before we get into some group questions. Now, look at these statistics. I don't know if you thought about the numbers of people in the world, but just ponder those those numbers for just a minute. Population of the world somewhere in the vicinity of about 7.1 billion people. So many human beings that wake up in the morning and breathe the fresh air and walk around and navigate in their culture and in their context. That's a lot of people, right? A lot of people, 7.1 billion. Professing Christians, 2.1 billion. Um, And religious non-Christians, that's obviously people who are part of some other religion. Um, what What do those numbers make you think of right off the surface when you look at them? Okay, so when Jesus says uh, the gate is narrow, he, he means it. 
And certainly the numbers look like it, at least, right now. So, you know, there's 3.7 billion people. And if you look within that category of professing Christians, I think if we started to examine and, and, and kind of drill that down a bit, we would find that the number of folks that we would, that we would call actual gospel-believing, gospel-understanding Christians would be a far smaller number than that even. So um, you would even have aberrations within that world of professing Christians. So uh, when you look at it in those terms, you think most people in the world are practicing some other kind of religion than you are. Um, that means most of the people, if you travel very much outside of your own normal culture, you're going to run into a lot of people who practice a lot of things very different uh, than what you practice, who believe a lot of things very different than what you believe and what I believe. Um, and, you know, I, I've got some group questions for you, and I think that probably they will expose for you uh, how markedly little we really know about other faiths and what other people believe and what other people practice as far as their, their faith goes. And so, um, so uh, I just wanted to just kind of throw that out there at you. Uh, those numbers, get those in your mind. And, um, and then as a backdrop to that and to what we're going to talk about, I want you to think about these questions here. And just group up with a few folks around you and uh, chat about these. Um, and look, there's this, there's this, let me just say, there's this natural tendency so I group up with the same three or four people every week because you just sit next to them and it's like a magnet. You just automatically go there. So tonight, don't do that. Find somebody different to talk to. All right. Um, spread around. You can get up. You can walk around. Three or four or five, six people get together, chat about these questions, uh, see what you come up with, and then we'll pull it back together in about 10 minutes. OK, so go now. Jump. All right. Um, let's talk about this a little bit. All right, so um, how, did, uh, how, what did you, how did you do with question number one? Was this an easy question to answer or hard? Yeah, there was just two options there, easy or hard. <laughs> I mean, really. How many say it was hard? How many say it was easy? Everybody else doesn't know. They didn't raise their hand either. <laughs> you guys are a tough crowd tonight. Okay, so what did you come up with? What is a religion? How did you define this word religion? All right. I think all those aspects are certainly aspects of religion. Did you Google it? Ah, <laughs> old Google. Okay. So that's a that. Okay, good overview. All right. Anybody else come up with something? The building of an altar. That's an interesting definition. Um. Did you, were you going to say something, Steve? Okay, belief in a greater power. All right, in your handouts, there's a sheet that says, what is religion at the top? And um, so I'll show you rather how, how rather complicated this question has been to answer over history. You see that page? Um, you can see some definitions historically of what is a religion. Some of those are, you won't have any idea what they're talking about, probably. Um, some of them are a little more coherent. Um, we'll try and throw out a different definition tonight than any of these, but... Um, you can see how some intelligent folks have come at this definition of what exactly constitutes a religion. Um, some of them come at it from different angles. Give me a second just to look over that. Rudolf Otto in the middle, we'll speak about him maybe in just a few moments, but he defines it as religion is that which grows out of and gives expression to experience of the holy in its various aspects. So the idea that there's 
that there is um, this experience that we can have with something that's beyond us, that's holy, that gives us awe and wonder, and that that's foundational to what a religion is. But just looking through those, you see how different those are? Do some of those not even make sense to you at all? Do all of them not even make sense to you at all, really? They're, they're tough. It's a tough word to define. What is a religion? Because when you start trying to work through a definition for the word religion, I mean, imagine trying to describe what is a religion to someone who has no concept whatsoever of religion. How would you begin to describe that? Would you begin to describe it in terms of experiences? Would you begin to, to describe it in terms of beliefs? Um, some sort of a theological outline? Would you, would you um, define it in, in terms of the kind of effect that it would have on people? Um, uh, you know, there's a lot of different angles at which you can come at this idea of what is a religion um, and what would actually constitute a religion. And providing that definition uh, is really challenging. I mean, often we would, we would want to begin defining it in terms of like gods and supernatural spirits and things of that nature, something around that concept. But yet there are many things that, that uh, you wouldn't disqualify as a religion. They really don't have foundationally any concept of a god or any sort of supernatural kinds of spirits. Often they're involved in what we would define as a religion, but sometimes they're not. Sometimes there are religions that don't revolve around any particular concept of God. There are some religions that don't even that would even say that those kind of concepts are, are a hindrance to our enlightenment rather than a help to us. And so they would eschew any kind of thing that revolves around a God. And yet they wouldn't be any less of a religion. Buddhism would be sort of, uh, particularly Zen Buddhism would be that kind of a faith. It doesn't really revolve around a particular God. Or, but it's a, it's a religion nonetheless. So our, our definition is going to be incomplete if we just focus on gods because we're going to uh, necessarily eliminate certain things that definitely are religions that don't revolve around a concept of God. And so that becomes a challenge. You know, for religions that we're most familiar with, which would be things like what? You probably came up with some of these in your list. Obviously, Christianity. What others are you most familiar with? Okay, Islam, Judaism, Jehovah's Witnesses. Okay, we're moving over into to cults and so forth. Yeah, but all of those are religions that revolve around a very central concept of God, right? Of a God, of a God in fact. Um, now, if I give you more time, I'm sure you listed, some of you listed in your list, Hinduism, Buddhism, some of those kinds of things, right? Some things that move away from monotheism into polytheism and other things. We'll talk about those words in just a minute. Um, so you have definitions that come off of uh, dealing with gods or, or, or the supernatural, but then there are some things that qualify as religion that don't deal with that either. So um, we could then move and start to try and define it in terms of the values, a set of values or, or how, how religion shapes how we experience or how we live our lives. You know, some sort of a, of a construct or a definition that says, you know, religion is something that directs the way we live or the way we think about certain things. Um, it shapes our values. It shapes our thoughts and our, our understanding of the world and things around it. But even a definition that goes that starts there can kind of come up short. How does the definition based on that kind of thing come up short? Or you can think of things other than religion that do that, right? Think about the experience of somebody who, um, whose experience is, is within a, an organized crime gang. Um, certainly there's a set of values and there's a set of way of live, ways of living and ways of thinking about reality and right and wrong and all that, right, that would, that would fall into that group. But we wouldn't call that a religion, right? We would call that thugs and a gang, not religion. 
Um, so, so, so it gets really tricky to start trying to say, how do we nail down then a definition? Um, uh, one of the authors that I'm, that I'm using as a source, by the way, let me just show you a few things. Um, pause here for a minute and show you a couple of source, source materials that we're going to use through this. This book called, um, So What's the Difference by Fritz Reidenauer. Good book that's short, if you like shorter things that deal with this. Uh, Christianity and World Religions by Derek Cooper. All these are things that I recommend if you're looking forward to studying more of this than what we'll get. A uh, great little book of charts that most of the charts, I'll be giving a lot of these out to you because it contains the copyright for us to be able to do that. And um, a little book by Ray Comfort's really short that deals with world religions as well. Uh, all of these I'll be referencing throughout. And, um, and then also um, Neighboring Faiths. Um, by an author by the name of Cordelan is a, is a really a more of an academic source for, for what we're studying. So I just want to point those out to you and particularly put them um, on the audio portion so that you can go back online and if you're interested in studying more about this. Um, but we're going to use Cordelan's uh, definition for a religion uh, as we're working our way through tonight, and I'll get to that in just a minute. Um, how many religions, how many, how many, just what's the number that you named in your group? How many? Count them up real quick. How many did you? 22? 12? How many did you guys name? About five? Six or seven? Okay, so you guys like rocked it there. I mean, you got 22, 22 religions. I mean, that's a lot of religions. And there's, there's hundreds, so I mean, you did pretty well. All right, which ones did you know the most about? Before we get to the definition, which ones do you know? Which religions apart from Christianity do you know the most about? Okay, like Judaism, Islam, Jehovah's Witnesses. Okay. Somebody say Mormon, Mormonism. Okay. All right. So, um, of the ones that you know the most about, how many? I mean, how many of you could list more than five or six facts about? Okay, hands up. More than five or six facts. More than ten facts. About ten or more. Okay, we start running, we start stretching by about ten. Okay, so what does that tell us that's helpful for us? Maybe it helps us answer the last question. What's the practical... (laughs) We got lots to learn, right? We got lots to learn. Okay, so what's the practical value of studying this kind of stuff? Understanding worldview so that you, with the view of evangelism... Okay. Understanding the difference, okay? Speak up, okay? Okay. Simply see the value of our own faith and our own beliefs, okay? And examine those in light of the challenges of other things. Okay. Well, good. I'm glad you came up with some things that were of practical value apart from just knowledge. We, we want to know things, but we want to know things with a view towards some practical usage of that. And um, that would be the goal, at least in teaching it. So I hope that's your goal in, in studying it. Because um, there's going to be a ton of just material, just a ton of beliefs and practices and so forth that are, we're going to have to really reach to get to. Um, but the goal in that is not just to know it, but to be able to somehow practically employ that in what God's called us to do in light of it. So, um, yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll start to break all that out as we make our way through. Um, I have a little chart that I was going to... Yeah, you're looking from the icons on the uh, on the graphics, so we'll do more than eight. I just that's all I could fit, you know, without making it look too muddy. Graphic <laughs> designers. Um, so yeah, we're going to deal with those, but we'll deal with some others as well. Um, I was looking for a little chart. Uh, the religions that 
The religions in the world religions that have more than 10% of the population, would you like to know that? That would be helpful to know. What would you think they would be? These would be major world religions. More than 10% of the world population adheres to them. Um, Islam, okay, Islam is, is definitely one, 21.8%. Okay, yes, Judaism would be one. Um, no, I take that back. Judaism is not. No, no, no. Judaism is not, not more than 10%. Christianity, Christianity around 30%. Yep, 30.5% Christian, 21% Muslim, Hindu, 13%. Shinto, um, no. You know the next largest religion by by view of animism. animism is big, but it's it's not one of the not more than ten percent. Secularism, everything that in, it would encompass everything from agnosticism to atheism to you know secular humanism and all of that. Somewhere in the neighborhood of about sixteen percent of the world population falls there, um, and then. Then there's a whole group of, of faiths that would qualify as the less than 10% of the population. Things like Buddhism, 5.4% of the, the population of the world. Uh, traditional religions, which would encompass the things that deal with animism and other things, traditional Native American religions and various other things like that. Some are in the neighborhood of 4.3%. Um, various sort of uh, venues of Chinese religion, 3.7%. Um, and then you start getting down to even smaller groups like Judaism is only 0.2%, Sherry. 0.2% of the world are Jewish. 0.2. Yeah. You would think it's larger? Yeah, it is not. Um, then you've got some other smaller things like Sikhism, uh, the Sikh religion, S I K H, 0.3%. Uh, um, spiritism, 0.2%. Then you get down to really small things like Shinto, 0.06, and Baha'i, 0.06. Um, so lots of, lots of things that you may know the names of, um, but in relationship to size or percentage of the world population, not incredibly significant. Um, however, significant because you'll encounter them occasionally. I mean, in our culture, you, you, know, you run into all those that I've just mentioned somewhere along the way in our culture. So, um, so the practical value of gaining some sort of understanding of all these things, being able to then look at what we believe in light of them and compare, contrast, figure out how we can, how we can communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ to folks who come from these different worlds. Um, you know, one of the things that frustrates me more than anything uh, is, is, is Christians who are completely ignorant of other people and just do kind of, um, I call it drive-by evangelism, you know, with no, with no concern whatsoever for the person to whom they're speaking and where they're coming from and what they believe and what they've embraced and just kind of drive by. All you need to know is what I'm going to tell you. Believe it or you're going to hell and I don't care what you think kind of an attitude. It's really not particularly helpful evangelistically. So I think it really helps us when we understand what people believe and where they're coming from to know how to talk to them, to be able to know what they're already believing and where those points of contact are between it and Christianity, where the main points of divergence are. Um, and where we can have some intelligent conversation with them and begin to to, to do evangelism. So um, so anyway, those are some of the ones um, that we'll talk about, and, and we'll break out some some Christian cults uh, as well along the way. Okay. So trying to define a definition, let me give you this definition from Cordelman that I think is a pretty decent definition, um, because he, he, he in his definition he's arguing that some, for somebody that qualifies religious. 
it has to have values that come from beyond the details of ordinary life. So in other words, it's not just ordinary life. There's, there's some values that, that are beyond that. So a definition would be something like this. A religion is a system of beliefs and practices that directs a person towards transcendence. What is transcendence? Anybody know that word? Okay, it's above us. It directs us above the, the, the realm of experience earthly experience and that's beyond us okay when you talk about this theologically you talk about god is both transcendent and near the biblical god of the bible it describes him as both being transcendent he's above us but he's also come near to us in christ so he's both near and transcendent but um, in this definition that's what that word means it's above us so a system of beliefs and practices that directs a person towards things that are above us and thus provides meaning and a coherence to a person's life okay so the idea is it gives us some sort of meaning and coherence in our lives. Now, he's going to add one more, one more little nuance to this definition because he's going, to, he's going to say to us that there's a difference between religion and spirituality. Have you heard this word? Have you ever heard somebody say, I'm not very religious, but I'm very spiritual? That's pretty, pretty common these days. People don't want to identify with a religion. Um, in recent studies, and recent statistical studies, uh, you may have read some of this um, in the U.S. done in, in recent um, recent years. The, the growing, one of the fastest growing segments within the population are the nuns. You know what the nuns are? Not the N-U-Ns, not those guys, gals. I mean, um, not the nuns. The N-O-N-E apostrophe S. You know what nuns are? The people who, when asked, "What is your religion?" Is it Christian, Islam, or is it none of the above? None. Fastest growing, um, we're seeing, are the nuns. People answering none. People don't want to identify with a religion. However, what we're seeing in a lot of different ways is that many people who don't want to identify with a religion uh, don't mind uh, expressing that they find themselves to be very spiritual. So what's the difference between being spiritual and being religious or spirituality and religion. If you heard somebody describe it like that, what would you think they mean? Okay. So you're getting at it, I think. When somebody talks about being spiritual, they're talking about something that's very personal and private. Whereas someone who tries to make that contrast when they're talking about a religion, they see religion as being something that's, that has a, a set of, um, of values and practices that are, that are not just personal, but they're a kind of a corporate thing, a group sort of an identity. And so there, there's this number, growing number of folks who say, I don't want to be religious, I don't want to be part of any religion or identify with a religion, but personally, privately, very spiritual. Now, they may describe that spirituality as anything from the most bizarre thing you could imagine, um, to some sort of, you know, connection feeling between nature and themselves or, or something even more, more uh, close to a religion than that. But there's a word cultus I want you to get, the word cultus. Uh, and the difference really between cultus, uh, between spirituality and religion, is the idea that religions have some sort of a cultus. That means there's this set of external features which have meaning only for the sake of that religious belief and would be unnecessary in other contexts. In other words, a set of practices that, 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 that come around that religion and don't serve really any other purpose other than the functioning of that religion as a, as a group or as, a, uh, as, a, as, a, as an external sort of a practice, the idea of a cultus. So religion comes with that, whereas spirituality is really personal and private matter. Um, it's the difference. So... 
Uh, Cordwin gives some examples of occultists. He says this. He says that contemporary Protestant Christianity in the United States is, is associated with a very specific cultist. Listen to how he describes it. In general, the cultist revolves around this. Believers gather on Sunday mornings in specially designated buildings, set on chairs or benches rather than kneel. They sing special songs, either out of hymnals or projected on a screen. They pray with their eyes closed, listen to a professional minister speak about a passage in their holy book, the Bible, um, and so forth. That, that's the cultus. That's uh, the, the, the group of external features. All of that kind of forms the practice, the external practice of that religion. And every religion has some sort of a cultus, okay? It's some sort of an external set of, of values and practices that the group um, experiences or participates in together. So to, to kind of fulfill our, our definition of, of a religion then, and adding in this idea of a cultist, we would, you can go ahead and pop that over, um, kind of taking, our, taking the definition I gave just a moment ago from Cordelman, a system of beliefs and practices that by means of a cultist, by means of a certain set of practices that are external, directs a person towards transcendence and provides meaning and coherence to a person's life. Okay, we'll, we'll break this down as we, as we move our way through this. I just want to give it to you. Um, have you ever thought about this? Where did, where did religions come from? Where did really this idea of religion come from? Where did it originate? What do you think? Okay. Been a part of human history. There's been some element of religion or religious experience. Okay. Did it originate with people or did it originate with God? That's an interesting question. Okay. 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 What's that? Okay, there's something innate within us that wants to worship or is drawn to worship. Okay. So this has been a, this has been a, a, a subject of study for for. For centuries, where did or where did religions come from, and what purpose do they serve? And you can't—it wouldn't surprise you that people all across the spectrum, from scientists to psychologists to sociologists to people from every scientific world to every religious world, have explored this idea and have ideas about where religion comes from and what purpose it serves. Have you ever heard any answers to any of these things, or what people have posited as explanations? Okay, so ancient Egyptian religion certainly is is a very old and very old religion. Okay, that's true, but but it even predates that, I think. A Christian might argue that. So that would be a Christian explanation for the diversity of religion. Could or. Okay, so some have posited that religion is just a, a, a made-up set of uh, beliefs and practices and rules that are really used to control and manipulate people. Okay, I've certainly heard that one before. Uh, if you go all the way back to uh, the 19th century theologian Friedrich Schleiermacher, Schleiermacher, I can't say German names very well. Forgive me for that. Um, he, he comes up with this idea, and he says this. He says the feelings... I mean, the, the, the religion doesn't begin with a set of beliefs, but rather it begins with a, with a universal feeling of absolute dependence. This idea that everybody has always had this sense of absolute dependence. We, we depend on something beyond ourselves. We all feel this sense of, of dependence. And, and therefore, because we feel this sense of dependence, there must be something to then, what? Depend on. And we would call that something to depend on what? God. And then various forms of worship around that something to depend on 
Um, this is where the idea of religion, according to Schleiermacher, comes, comes from. Um, you, you go a little bit over to the world of philosophy and you run into somebody like Ludwig Feuerbach, who's, who's a, a, psycho- uh, excuse me, a philosopher, and he says this, the concept of God is actually a combination of idealized human traits. Now think about that. That this whole concept of God just is a, 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 an idealized picture of a human. And people, what, what kind of characteristics do people have? They love, they love one another. They do good to other people. Sometimes they're merciful. Sometimes they're generous. Sometimes they're angry. Um, all these human traits, if you idealized all those things, if you imagined the, the, perfect, the perfect ideal expression of every human tra- trait, the ideal human, the ideal person, they, see, he, this philosopher said, that's, that's God. He's just, a, he's just an idealized picture of, of, of humanity, a, a, an exalted human being, so to speak, without the flaws. Um, this is where the idea of God comes from. So we, we observe humanity and we find all these good things and we just picture for ourselves the perfect example of all that and we call that God. That, and that's where religion begins, he would, he would argue. You go to someone like Sigmund Freud. You've heard of Sigmund Freud, surely, right? And Freud says, no, 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 that's not the issue. That, that, that all of us have this basic need of a father image. We have this basic need of a, of a father image in our life. And so we, we create this, 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 this concept of God who is for us the perfect idealized father. And that's where religion begins and revolves. Yeah. Well... Well, I mean, yeah, I think even Freud would say, you know, that discipline is part of fatherhood. So, um, you know, um, a, a God who always does that perfectly would be a, would fit that mold. And so there are all these other kinds of, of of ideas that come at us for what what is a religion and where does it come from and where does it originate. Um, one of the prevailing ideas of of religion and where it comes from and how it's developed has been called the the evolutionary theory. Of religion. Now, this is interesting because, you know, from the time of Darwin and the concept of evolution beginning to take root as a philosophical sort of a construct, um, evolution, those same principles have been applied to about every sort of phase of human existence, you know. And it's no surprise to us then that, that, that folks have taken that concept um, and applied it to then the development of religion. And it's really been the prevailing, the prevailing concept for a long time. Hardly anyone defends it anymore. It's largely, it's largely uh, sort of assumed that this is the way religion has developed. It's developed over time through various levels. And I want to kind of give you just a quick overview of this um, because I think it's wrong, but I think you need to understand it. Does that make sense? Those who hold to the evolutionary... Josh, would you just put the whole outline up there of this for the um, stages in evolutionary, the evolution of religion? Um, the idea is this, um, that there are a couple of presuppositions that folks come, come at to get to this. And the first, is, um, the first is the idea that religion is an aspect of human culture which has to be understandable without reference to supernatural things. Okay, So we've got to come at this without reference to the supernatural. We've got to understand religion just purely on its human sort of a level. That you can only get to this that way. The second assumption is this, that religion has begun on a very childlike and primitive level, and it's over time evolved to greater and greater levels of complexity. Okay? 
So you see evolution here. Okay? It started out very primitive way back in history. And over time, what happens to religions is they evolve and they grow from less complexity to what? To greater complexity, okay? Oh, certainly, 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 absolutely. Uh, and then the third kind of presupposition underneath this is the idea that religion is practiced among the least developed cultures in the world must be then closest to the religion of early human beings. You see that? If you go find the most primitive culture today, that the least developed, okay, find out what they practice, um, that would have, that would more, according to this sort of a, from less to more complexity, that would have to be closest to the religion of the earliest people, okay? Does that make sense to you? Okay, so these are the presuppositions underneath that. So given those kinds of ideas, we're moving from less complexity to more. The least developed should have the least developed religion and closest to what was original or where it all started, so to speak. And so they developed this sort of a, a pyramid structure, and you've kind of got the way I've given it to you here, one, two, three, four, five, is kind of a, a reverse pyramid. Um, everything starting at the level of what's called manna, not, nothing to do with the manna of the Bible. But manna uh, is, is the stage of, in the evolution of religion, uh, which is like the most primitive, the very most primitive stage. Did I, did I give a slide with that, Josh, the most basic definition of that? Yeah, the most primitive form. Uh, at this level, it's a religion is very, very little complexity. The idea is a religion at this level just has some general, general awareness of a spiritual force in the world. Okay? Just, well, of course, may the force be with you. May the force keep you awake for about five or ten more minutes here. Um, general, a general awareness of the spiritual force in the world. This force is not personal. It's not, it doesn't reveal itself very explicitly. Um, the, the distribution of the force is uneven. That is to say that there are certain people that possess more or less of the force. There are certain objects, you know, sticks or trees or rocks or sacred items that possess this force in more or less of a degree, greater or lesser amounts. Um, and, and so positive contact with this force is thought to provide power. And, and to help you achieve success and negative contact with the force, what do you think will do? Just think Darth Vader. Yeah, bad things happen to you when you come into contact with the force in a negative way. And so this is kind of the most primitive sort of religion. It kind of begins on this level. Very, very little complexity. This general force that's distributed. You want to, uh, you want to tap into the force in positive ways, but not tap into it in negative ways. And we want to, Find ways to relate to this force and to be able to use the force in order to do what? Yeah, to provide us with things like rain or health or healing from some sort of a sickness or disease or protection or happiness. Okay, all of those kinds of things. Um, and so all of the all of the religion is, is, is shaped around. Contacting this force and, and manipulating this force and relating to the force in a certain way. And there are all sorts of rituals and, and things that are developed in order to accomplish that, right? So does that make sense to you what we're talking about there when we talk about this level of religions, this very primitive level of just a general spiritual force? We want to make the, the force work to our advantage. It's our responsibility to do that. 
uh, and so forth. Okay, so when you move up from manna to the next to the next level in the in the pyramid, um, you run into something called animism. Okay, this is a greater level of complexity. So the idea is that religions start at this level of manna and then they evolve to a, a greater level of complexity. And no longer are we dealing with just spiritual forces that are non-personal. Now, when we get to this level, these these impersonal forces become what? Personal spirits, right? Personal spirits. They have names and they're 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 more clearly identifiable and so forth. Um, so. They're, they're, they're painted as personal beings with really distinct identities. They're given names in many cases. And they're often organized in, in two big categories. Nature spirits, think um, Pocahontas maybe, right? Um, or ancestor spirits. What are ancestor spirits? Yeah, these are your ancestors who've died. And they've gone on to become spirits that, are, that still maintain their, their place in the family. Um, even though they're no longer with you. And they, they still are active and involved as spirits. Um, and you still need to honor them and respect them. And you wouldn't dare dream of you know, making important decisions without consulting the ancestors, right? Um, do you get that concept? So we've moved, you see the difference how this is more complex than the manna? So it's evolved to a level of now personal sort of spiritualism and ancestor spirits and nature spirits that are the, you know, in plants and animals, streams and rocks and fields and... Um, now they're, they're finite, though. They're not. They're not omnipotent. They're not all powerful. Um, they have specific, often domains of influence. They're spirit of the of the forest, or the spirit of the rain, or the spirit of this area versus the spirit of that area, and so forth. Those those kinds of things. Okay. Once again, though, the whole religion is still shaped around maintaining a proper relationship with these spirits, right? And and maybe having a personal spirit that's yours that protects you and keeps you safe that you worship. Okay, all right. So when we move up the chart, then or in this case down the chart from mana to animism, as things begin to evolve into another level of complexity, you end up with this. What's that? Polytheism. Okay. Now it's more than just personal spirits. We've now got what? Multiple gods. These are now gods, not just spirits, but powerful gods. That uh, have names and have power and have domains and may compete with one another or maybe they don't. The God of one place versus the God of another. They may be um, they may be connected to just like one one area or they may be connected to one race of people or even to one family. Um, and so in making the transition from animism to this, these personal spirits may evolve into personal gods. Does that make sense as the thing grows? So you end up with that. You end up with this word pantheon. You may have heard that before. This is just the sum total of all the gods and goddesses within a particular religion. Okay? That's what a pantheon is. All right? And then as we develop even further, there's another one, another level between that and monotheism, which is henotheism. You ever heard that word before? Yeah? You've heard this one? Oh, did he really? Well, thank you. Thank you. Don't let R.C. Sproul hear this. Um, yeah, okay. So when you get to henotheism, it's not just polytheism where you have all these various gods, but now what you have here is, is a, the idea that we recognize many different gods as real, but do what? We worship only one of them. Okay? So the idea that there are many gods out there, but I only worship one of those gods as opposed to worshiping many. Okay? That's henotheism. By the way, you see this in some examples in the Old Testament um, of some of the nations around Israel that, that 
practice this kind of thing. Um, a couple of examples of that would be, um, do you remember the speech of the Assyrian field commander in Isaiah chapter 37? When he's basically taunting Israel. Um, and he's the, this Assyrian field commander is taunting the people of Israel. And he's saying, look, you know, you're relying on your God to protect you. But look at all these peoples that we've conquered already. And they all had gods too. And our God is more powerful than their God. And the evidence for that is we've killed them all. And now we're going to kill you. And if you think you're going to rely on your God to protect you, what reason do you have to believe that your God is any more powerful than their gods to stand up against our God? You see the idea? There's many gods, but the one we worship is the right one or the most powerful one. You see that? So that's henotheism. That's henotheism. Um, you also see... I can, I can rap. I can rap. Um, uh, okay, so you have that. And another example of that would be in 2 Kings chapter 5. Um, you remember a guy by the name of Naaman? He's healed of leprosy. Do you remember that guy? Well, Naaman, yeah, he was healed of leprosy and he decides he's going to worship God only. But in order to do that properly, do you remember one of the things that he did? So he got a couple of, a couple of um, uh, mule loads of dirt to take with him. No, to take back home with him to his homeland. Do you know why he took the dirt with him? Because Yahweh, the God of Israel, was a God of this place. And in order for him to feel at home, back home, he needed to have some of the land with him to go back. You see? He's a God of the location. Um, this is henotheism. This is the idea that there are many gods that are recognized, but there's one that should be worshipped. And that's, okay, so you get that. And so the idea is the next, and then, then the highest level would be that of monotheism. Um, only one God creator of the world, superior to any creature, author of moral directives for people, alone worthy to be worshipped. So this is the idea. Those who propose this say this is how religion has developed over the centuries. All religions start out at this mana level. They develop to animism. They eventually develop in complexity from there to um, polytheism, to henotheism. And eventually, it gets ultimately complex. You end up worshipping just one God and realizing that there is only one God. Now, let me say this. I know our time is up. Um, those who propose this mostly would argue that this is not the highest level. That the, actually, there's actually one other level that we, will, we can evolve to, which is that we can eventually develop enough to realize that there really isn't any God at all. Or that secular humanism would be the top of the, the, top of the chart. And that would make sense in this kind of a construct, Right? I mean, we eventually move from all these spirits to realizing there's only one God to realizing ultimately the highest level of complexity is realizing we don't need any God at all. We're just fine the way we are. We've got it under control. This whole sort of, this whole sort of system of understanding how religion came to be is, is, shaped around, is shaped around, I think, trying to push the idea that, that religion really is unnecessary. And the more complex and educated that we become, the more we realize that, that we don't need it at all. That it's just a human construct that really is unnecessary, a crutch that we don't really need. Okay? There are a lot of reasons why this whole system, this whole, this whole outline does not work. We'll talk about that a little bit next week. 
Um, but I want you to see it because I want you to get these terms. Because if you look around the world today, some of the religions we will encounter as we study this will fit each of these definitions. We will look at some religions that are monotheistic. We'll look at some that exist in the world today which are polytheistic. We'll look at some in, in this study that are animistic, from, fall into the category of animism. We will not watch Star Wars, I promise. Because you've already seen it. So you understand that concept of manna. Um, so um, you have, a, you have a, um, a sheet that doesn't have henotheism on there. Um, but it has, the, it has some others on there uh, that we'll talk about uh, next week. We'll go through some of these handouts next week. Um, and then after that, we're going to start right in with Judaism and start looking at uh, what, what Jewish faith looks like. Okay? Um, now, let me say this. I'm going to say, I'm sorry, I keep saying I'm going to say one more thing. Um, we need to understand this as we approach this study. For every religion, there is, there is a definition of what are the beliefs, of the official beliefs and practices of that religion. You and I need to understand from the outset that whatever that is for any particular religion is not always the same as what are the practices of the average guy or gal on the street who practice that religion. Okay? We make a huge mistake and studying world religions by studying the official definitions and theology of a religion and assuming that every person who's a part of that religion knows those things and practices those things and believes those things. Um, we need to realize, even within Christianity, that's so true, right? There are some official things that define Christianity, but you can go talk to people who are practicing Christians who know little to nothing about what those things actually are and who define their Christianity completely different from that. Does that make sense? So we don't want to be fools going into this thinking we can just get the basic outline of beliefs of a religion and now go talk to somebody from that religion and instantly know where they're coming from. It's not that simple. So uh, I'm going to try as we work our way through to kind of pull from both worlds so we can get a sense for where people are underneath a system that has clear, a clear outline. Okay. Um, so we want to look for both of those things as we're studying these faiths. All right, let's pray. God, I'm thankful for our opportunity to jump into this. Um, somewhat academic here at the beginning, but important for us to understand that it's a complex world and the subject of religion is very, very complex. And um, there are, are, are things that are so different from anything that we experience or know. They seem odd to us, seem weird. Our minds can't wrap around what they believe. We can't understand really in many ways why people would embrace such things. But... Uh, we pray, though, Lord, you'd help us to realize that there are folks in different parts of the world, people even in our own culture, who look at our faith that way, who look at what we believe and the outline of our beliefs and say, how could somebody believe that? And so, Lord, we pray that you would uh, help us to, to gain understanding, uh, but also give us uh, hearts of, of mercy and kindness towards people of other faiths um, in the meantime, and help us to be able to build bridges for the gospel. Lord, that's what we want to do, and we pray for your help in it. In Christ's name, amen. And...